We're in Jonah chapter 3 today. We're continuing on in our series, Jonah, a tale of death, resurrection, and compassion. And I want to start off and I want to tell you this. There's an evil king that is enthroned in our city and we have put him there. And I might dare even say that that foul beast is enthroned on your heart and you have put him there. And here's what's happening. You are desperate for the good life. You're desperate to to, to cling on to some comfort and some pleasure. And you're seeking all over places that will offer it to you. And you're making deals more than you realize, crowning things as your king and your Lord so that those things might give you the comfort and pleasure that they might be promising you. And today, what we're going to see is a whole entire city changed because they stopped chasing after comfort and pleasure and they found it in a place where it cannot run dry. And it starts on the streets and it moves all the way up through the royal courts to the king. And there, that king dethrones himself because a whole city had been changed. Can our city be changed? Can the Treasure Coast be changed? Can a small, insignificant church like the Grove do anything about this whole big, wide world that we are in? And why don't we really care that much if the world has changed? Is it a problem? Is it okay that we are so consumed with our own lives and how things are going that we really honestly, come on, be honest, you don't really care that much about what's happening around the world? Do we care that God weeps over our city? Or are we kind of like, come on, God, it's not that big of a deal. Don't be such a crybaby, God. Our city is just fine the way that it is. Perhaps it's time that we start weeping over the things that God weeps for. So we're in Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. First point, the king as culture. I want to start off and I want to make a bold claim. That you, the church, are the very hope of our city the very hope of the Treasure Coast, and the very hope of the whole world. And for the rest of the sermon, I want to back up that bold and maybe seemingly arrogant claim that I just made. 
Because what we see is upon the streets of Nineveh, a warning comes from Jonah to the whole city. And the city changes, and they put on sackcloth, and they begin a fast. And what that means is they have these earthly comforts and pleasures that they're seeking, and they're denying themselves those things. Now, let me tell you something about Nineveh. It was an evil city. And Nineveh chased after comfort and pleasure by dominating the world around them. Look at me here. They were dominating the world around them with violence, destroying all the cities around them so that they might be safe, so they might be comfortable. And because they were safe and comfortable, they were now able to pursue the pleasures that they so wanted. But historians would say around that time, plagues started beginning to break out. There were riots. There were disasters happening all around them. And it ripened them because as that was happening, Jonah walks in, who is an enemy to Nineveh, and he walks in and he basically gives the worst sermon that there has ever been and gives them this warning that in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And the city responds. And they denied themselves the pleasures that they once sought. They denied themselves the violence that they used to seek so that they might have comfort by staying safe and dominating the world around them. In order to deny yourself comfort and pleasure that's all around you, you have to find it somewhere else. And you have to find the type of comfort and pleasure that will continue to deliver for you. And when you have that, you become a person of substance and strength. You become someone that's unmovable. You become the type of person that the world could try to take the comfort and pleasure completely from you. And you can look back at it and smile because you've got comfort and pleasure that comes from the heavens and it cannot be stolen from you. That's the way to understand Jesus when he says, don't fear what they can do to your body. Fear what they can do to your soul. This is the riches of heaven coming down, blessing you. Now, the question becomes, how does, how does this repentance start? And it didn't start with the king. It didn't start with the royals. It started up on the streets. And I would, I would say even, I would make this speculative argument that Jonah comes in on the streets, and the first people that he's going to encounter are the homeless orphans. He's going to encounter the least of these. And what's happening is he's starting the message there, and they're beginning to change. And as they do, word of it reaches the king. And as the word reaches the king, the king starts to change. Now, I want to tell you something about kings. Kings seek the favor of people so that they can stay in power. And if you seek the favor of the masses like kings would often do, well, then the king just becomes a product of the culture because the culture is what the masses are. So the culture on the streets of Nineveh is changing, and then watch what the king does. He's like, oh, hey, I'm going to issue this decree. After they've already started fasting, after they already put on sackcloth, he issues a decree and tells them to do the thing that they're already doing. And what he's doing here is he's saying, hey, guys, look at me. I'm the same as you. Don't you love me? Don't you approve of me? So politics ends up running downstream of the current culture. 
Now, let me give you a a modern-day example of this. It's more relevant for us today because we live in a democracy where we elect our officials. And some of you don't like our current president, and some of you don't like the president that we had before him. And you're angry at the decisions that they are making, and I have news for you. They are not the problem. Our culture is the problem. Because our leaders are a product of the culture. We might have a culture war, but the problem is the culture. They're a representation of the culture. Hitler was a tyrant, but at the same time, people loved him because he told them exactly what they wanted to hear. And that means if you don't like the leadership, the answer is to change the culture. G.K. Chesterton said, what's wrong with the world today? He was asked what was wrong with the world today in an interview. His response, I am. Social media is swarming with all of these reasons why we hate those in leadership or do not like those in leadership. What's wrong, everything that's wrong with the world. Very, it's not often that you see somebody else saying, here's what's wrong with me on social media. So if you want cultural change, if you want a city to be transformed, it starts with repentance first. And that's good news because it means you can actually do something because it starts with you. Shouting about an injustice that is happening miles away from you will do nothing really to change your life. But maybe those who you love are desperate for you to change. And maybe that could be the greatest impact that you could make to start with you. Now, I want to tell you how culture works. I want to tell you how truths of culture are kind of uh, passed around because you need to know it. So truths or culture usually starts with artists. Artists are exploring these deep unspoken truths. And then the artists pass it to the philosophers who start speaking saying, here are the words to the truth that these crazy artists have been exploring. And that kind of gets bounced around between, and then it gets to the masses of people. And when it reaches the masses of people, the chatter starts. And then those who want power, those who want influence, those who, maybe they have good intentions, but, you know, they want some, they want a spot. They start echoing back words back to the people. And as they echo those words back to the people, the people say, there's our guy. He's saying it exactly how we want to hear it. The reason I tell you that is because there's many voices trying to influence you. How do you know who to trust? You trust the one who needs nothing from you. They don't need you to give them comfort and pleasure because they've already got all of it and it can't be taken from them. Now, does that person actually exist? And if they do, where in the world did they get the ability to have comfort and pleasure that cannot be stolen away from them? Because that person didn't exist in Nineveh. So what happened there? 
God's word came into Nineveh. Because God's word is from the king of heaven who passes his word down to us, and he needs nothing from you. Second point, trusting God's word. These verses are saying, if you don't like the way the world is, if you don't like the way the city is, if you don't like the way your home is, if you don't like the way your workplace is, if you don't like the way that you are, there's an answer coming down from a God who needs nothing from you. He has all the comfort and pleasure he could possibly want, and he's offering something for you. Truth. And that truth is going to give you what you're looking for. And so don't start with all the problems out there. Start with you by opening up your Bible and acting. God's word came to Nineveh, and they changed. And as they changed, it trickled all the way up to the king, and the king changed. The path to comfort and pleasure is not found in the world. It's found in the word. And until you realize that transformation is never going to come. But when you do, it's the beginning of a revolution. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because God is triune. And he needs nothing from you. He has everything he needs in himself because the Father, Son, and Spirit are each working to glorify the other. They're each working to give pleasure to the other. That God, God has all the comfort he wants because he's in this triune thing happening. But he has all the comforts and pleasures to deal out. He's overflowing with them. And if you find that in him, it makes you absolutely unmovable. And if you become unmovable, then you can move the culture around you. And if enough people become unmovable, well, the whole culture changes. Side note. If you see someone who's miserable and they're trying to tell you how you should live your life, you probably shouldn't listen to them. But you've got a God who is, knows joy and peace perfectly in himself. And he's offered you his word to tell you how to live. There's nothing greater than that. Follow that but we don't. And I want to tell you a story about why we don't. God's people at one point had no king. And they said, God, give us a king like all the other nations. And he said, no, that's a bad idea. I'm not going to do that. He said, no, they said, no, please, God. God's going to, it's going to be a bad idea if I do this for you. No, God, we want it. Okay, here's your king. Now, I was thinking about that this week, and, and I was thinking, why would they Why would they want an earthly king? Well, an earthly king can be controlled. When you have a heavenly king, you can't control him. He's infinite in wisdom and power and love. And so when he tells you to do something, you can't really argue with him. But if you've got an earthly king, well, you can question the earthly king. You can challenge the earthly king. The word demands that you give a king complete control, and that scares you. And the reason it scares you is because you shouldn't give every anything complete control over your life. Unless it's a king that's infinitely wise, 
good and loving. And if you find that king, well, give him everything. In the Bible, what it's saying is as soon as you open it and read it the way it's meant to be read, you now have a new king who's taken control of your life. Because the Bible comes into conflict with the current culture. The Bible comes into conflict with the culture in your home. The Bible comes into conflict with the culture in your heart, the culture in your intimate relationships, the culture in your friendships, the culture in your workplace. The Bible confronts every culture that is around you. And he knows what you need more than you do because the world's got you all twisted up and he's trying to sort you out. And, you know, you can use the excuse, yes, the Bible is really hard to understand at times. It's a very confusing book. So what do you do about that? Well, you read it. And once you finish it once or twice, then maybe you're actually really ready to read it. And then you bring it to your friends and your discipleship groups and you read it with them. And you read it over and over and over again until it finally starts making some sense to you. And you got to read it like this. You got to open up your chest. And you've got to let it read you. And if you're going to do it, you got to really do it because you can't come to the Bible and start questioning it. You can't come to the Bible and say, I'm going to pick this, but I'm going to reject this. Because do you know what you're doing when you do that? You're, every single culture has things about the Bible that it likes or dislikes. And if you let your culture dictate to you what you like or don't like about the Bible, then the culture remains king over the Bible. So what you do is crack open your chest and let the Bible read you. And you let the Bible read the current culture that you are in. And when you make the Bible what it claims to be, it's the process of a changed city. And again, we still have to care about the city. And we probably don't, but the Bible's telling us we should. So what do we do about that? Third point, a whole city enthrones God. There are two thrones at play in our verses. You've got the throne of the city, and then you've, you've got you, the throne of your heart. And the king of Nineveh, look what he does. He arises from his throne. He takes off his royal robe. He puts on sackcloth, which is like goat's hair. It's really uncomfortable to wear. And then he sits down in ashes. In other words, the throne is now open, and it's open for God. But that all started with the people on the streets who did it first. And as they did it, a river of change came all the way up to the top. Do you know the kind of king you're looking for? Humanity's looking for? We're looking for a king that we can sacrifice. Sacrificial system has dominated almost every culture. It seems weird to us today. We're just a little bit more sly about it because, look, here, here, here's how it happens. L let's, take, let's take a spouse. You want a spouse. You have a spouse. Either way, let's spouses. You want comfort and pleasure. And you need a king that you can sacrifice or is willing to sacrifice for you. And so you say, well, what can that be? 
I don't want to do it in money. That seems like a bad idea. I don't want to do it in material possessions. Probably love. Let's make it my spouse. So you crown your spouse as your king. And what that means now is your spouse becomes the thing that you sacrifice so you get comfort and pleasure. Because you need it. And it's the place you're going to go because it's the top thing in your life. So you go to your spouse and you're like, man, I'm missing. I don't have comfort and pleasure right now. Can you do something for me, honey? Can you make me happy? And so your spouse says, yes, what do you need? And this exchange begins to happen where each is reliant to make the other have comfort and pleasure. And then in the end, well, what happens when your spouse is empty and you're empty and you're going to your spouse for that comfort and pleasure? Well, that's going to be hell in your home. It's going to be constant unmet expectations and no one's got the energy to meet the expectations. And you just take that and you transfer it anywhere. Apply it to your job. Apply it to your children. You need a greater king. And not only are you looking for a king that you can sacrifice, but the culture is looking for a king to sacrifice. The masses are looking for anything any type of king that will suffer for them so that they can have a better life, so that they can have the good life. And, you know, leadership does require some sacrifice. But if there's a leader who's not completely filled with all the comforts and pleasures of heaven, well, they're going to need something too. And they're going to want to hold on to that power so then a deal gets struck. Well, you give me, O king, what I want, and I'll give you what you want. You can stay in power if you give me these things. Now, this king cares nothing for what happens to you. You can go run off into some hellish abyss as long as the king gets to stay in power. What we need is a king who is wise, who is loving, who will not bend when we ask him to let us do things that will draw us into a hellish abyss. But we also need a king who will sacrifice. Fourth point, the only worthy king. Jesus is the word made flesh. He's absolutely perfect in knowledge. And he holds absolutely everything together. And everything right now, we're existing here in this moment because he's holding us here in this moment. He holds all things in his hands and he holds all things together. He's perfect in power and he's gracious. And that grace that he offers is costly. It's a sacrificial grace. And he's the only king that you can really trust. And I'm going to tell you why. Because he's the only king who came and gave up his power. He did not come. Jesus did not come to take power. He came to give it all away. And that's pretty significant. And that means you can trust him. That's why he calls the rich young ruler to give him everything that he has. Give away everything that he has. 
because Jesus knows that he's that trustworthy and it's worthy for him to give absolutely all that he has away so that he can go and follow Jesus and do whatever Jesus commands him. Take all your desires for comfort, for pleasure, for joy, for peace. Take everything that you want and just say, God, it's yours. Jesus, it's yours. You take your very life and you say, I'm in your hands and I'm yours no matter the cost because I know that I can trust you. Why in the world would you trust him like that? Because look, he's the king who rose from his throne and came down. And he took off his royal robes and he wore a cross and he wore a crown of thorns. And then he was buried in the ashes of death. And he did that to give you life. But, but abundant life, which means he did it so you could have comfort and peace and joy and pleasure and everything else thrown in because you have him and he's always enough. When you dethrone all other kings and give him rule over your life, now you're ready to change your household. Now you're ready to change your life. Now you're ready to change the world around you, perhaps. But you got to have the right king. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us the faith that is needed to remove every king that we have put on the throne of our hearts and the thrones of this world. And we would give you rule over all things. God, we're... We have nothing without you. We're empty without you. We pray that you would make us people of substance and strength. We pray that you would rule, God. I pray for everybody here, God, that the, the desire in them to run away from you right now, I know is strong, just like Jonah who ran, God. But you've given us a calling right now in this moment to give all that we are to you. And I pray that we would do it. We would stop holding back. We'd go all in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL. And check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.